Good morning. We are wrapping up 1 Corinthians today, but that's okay. We're not leaving the Corinthian church. Chris will be picking up in 2 Corinthians next week um, as we kind of finish out our sermon series through Paul's letters to the Corinthian church. Uh, we'll, be, we'll be going there. So, um, If you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 16. If you don't, that's fine. It'll be up on the screen. And you can follow along there. Let's go ahead and hear the word of the Lord. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches in Galatia, so you also are to, so you also are to do. On the first day of each week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up, as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. And when I arrive... I will send those whom you accredit by letter to carry your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable that I should go also, they will accompany me. I will visit you after passing through Macedonia, and I intend to pass through Macedonia, and perhaps I will stay with you or even spend the winter, so that you may help me on my journey wherever I may go. For I do not want to see you now just in passing. I hope to spend some time with you, if the Lord permits." But I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost, for a wide door of effective work has opened to me, and there are many adversaries. When Timothy comes, see that no one... I'm sorry, let me try verse 10 again. When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you, for he is doing the work of the Lord, as am I. Let no one despise him. Help him on his way in peace, that he may return to me, for I am expecting him with the brothers. Now concerning our brother Apollos... I strongly urged him to visit with you and the other, with the other brothers, but it was not at all his will to come now. He will come when he has opportunity. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let all that you do be done in love. Now I urge you, brothers, you know that the household of Stephanus were the first converts in Acacia, and they were devoted and they had devoted themselves to the service of the saints. Be subject to such as these, and to every fellow worker and laborer. I rejoice at the coming of Stephanus and Fortunatus and Acacius, because they have made up for your absence. For they refreshed my spirit as well as yours. Give recognition to such people. The churches of Asia send you greetings. Aquila and Prisca, together with the church in their house, send you hearty greetings in the Lord. All the brothers send you greetings. Greet one another with a holy kiss. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Let's go ahead and go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this time we have to be in it today as we wrap up the letter of 1 Corinthians. We pray, Lord, that as we are in this time of, of worship through the hearing and response to your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would uh, convict us, you would um, challenge us, and you would have us think uh, and reflect on what we have learned from Paul's letter to the church in Corinth. Father, we ask that you would just uh, put me aside, that you would be spoken, the words spoken today would be your words and, and no one else's, that you would just um, touch our hearts and, and move in our lives. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So Paul is closing out this letter to the church in Corinth. 
And, and he uses this time to remind the church about the important collection for the church in Jerusalem. And that's what he's diving right into in, in verse 1. And he tells them about his future travel plans, right? And then he gives them this really kind of a brief farewell as he's kind of closing it out. Now, this collection that Paul's taking up is, like I said, it's for the church in Jerusalem. And he's, he's taken up aid for Jerusalem believers before. We see this written about in Acts chapter 11, Romans chapter 15, Galatians chapter 2, right? And he calls for the church to have an offering drive. I think it's kind of interesting. He's like, don't go scrambling about trying to get stuff collected when I show up. Have stuff set aside already for it. Like there's, there's kind of a, in some ways it kind of reminds me a little bit as Southern Baptists of our Annie Armstrong offering and our Lottie Moon offering that we're like, hey, the drive's coming. We're going to do this all December long or we're going to do this a whole month at Easter before up to Easter. And we're going we're gonna to do this drive for missionaries. And it's, it's similar in mindset to me a little bit than that. We're going to start setting stuff aside each week so you can do that. And, and so he's wanting them to do that. The money then will be sent to Jerusalem by representatives uh, from the church in Corinth, uh, who are approved by the church in Paul, and that gives credibility uh, that no impropriety has happened with the offering. And that's kind of important. We forget that, you know, we live in a modern society where we can write a check, put it in an envelope, send it off, or we can now wire people money directly. We don't even have to go to like Western Union and, and send a money order or anything like that. We can Venmo, PayPal, all these different things, and we can just get money directly to people that they need. Well, in Paul's time, the postal system wasn't exactly trustworthy. The postal system was, I hired somebody to take a letter to me as they were traveling to that city. And if that letter had money and packages and things like that in it, I had no real way of knowing if that ever got there. Right? And so Paul's making sure that there's some credibility behind what's happening with the offering. And this offering is interesting, though, as he's bringing it up here in, in the end as he's closing out, because it's really an application of the central theme of 1 Corinthians. Right? The central theme of 1 Corinthians has been unity among the believers, unity among the brothers and sisters within the church, unity there. And this shows unity. This is a selfless, selfless ministry of the Corinthian church to the Jerusalem church. It's Gentiles in Corinth showing love for Jewish believers in Jerusalem. It's God people, God's people of different ethnicities, of different cultures, showing unity that comes only through Jesus Christ. And there's a there's theological reality of the gospel here has been, been laid out for the readers and for the hearers of this letter to see that, that, that the gospel of Jesus Christ actively pulls people out of their selfishness, it actively pulls them out of their pride, it pulls them out of their elitism, and it pulls them out of their competitiveness, right? And it pulls people out of those things and into a blood-bought unity for those who have put their faith and identity in Christ Jesus alone. And that's what Paul's showing here with the, as he's collecting up this offering. And as, as Paul the Apostle talks about his travel plans, he gives the Corinthian church kind of a rough time frame of which he's coming along to. He says he's going to leave sometime after Pentecost. Now, Kind of remember back, we don't talk a lot about Pentecost anymore. We talk about the Passover because it shows up at Easter. We talk about Hanukkah because it shows up at Christmas. We talk about some of these other Jewish festivals. We don't talk about Pentecost very often. Pentecost is the Jewish festival that occurs 50 days following the Passover. So at the time of this writing, as Paul's writing it down, his intent was to leave late spring, early summer. 
right? He plans to leave Ephesus, sail across the Aegean Sea over to Macedonia, then travel south and spend the winter with the church in Corinth. Timothy's already on his way. And Paul's reminded the church that Timothy is doing the work of the Lord for their benefit. And they are to show him love, even if there is a rebuke that comes from Timothy during his visit, right? Don't let anyone despise him. He's doing the work of the Lord. Now, what's interesting is, is in Paul giving this kind of, here are my travel plans for you, it's kind of a, a proof to us that as, as he's given that to the, to the Corinthian church, he's given that to there, that there's this truth that he loves this church. And there's a lot of love in this pastor's heart for this church. And it's sometimes we, we miss that. If you can read First and Second Corinthians, there's a lot of Paul laying down the law. Foolish believers, foolish this, foolish that. He, he calls them out on a lot of dumb things that are happening within the church. And it would almost read like an angry letter until you get here and then you realize, no, this is somebody who does love them. And he's been rebuking them in the way a father would rebuke a child. The Spirit has led Paul to, de to deliver these harsh rebukes and teachings through the letter, but it was done out of his love for the people that are in this church. Paul loves these people, and he wants only what the best of what God has planned for them. He wants to see them grow, and he wants to see them thrive in their faith. Paul's desire for this church is, is for them to become a beacon of the gospel to the lost and an example of unity in Christ for the other churches to emulate. And that's what he's calling them to. Then in verse 12, now concerning our brother Apollos. All right. Verse 12 takes us all the way back to chapter 1, verses 10 through 17, when Paul addresses the church showing partiality and favoritisms to specific teachers and pastors. And one of those pastors mentioned is Apollos. That Apollos and Paul had kind of worked together. They had kind of done the church circuit, preaching, teaching, guiding people, planting churches. They had done this. And then we see that all of a sudden in the church of Corinth, there's this, well, I want to follow Paul. I want to follow Apollos. I want to follow Peter. Well, I'm better than all of you. I follow Christ and Christ alone. And, and Paul's like, you guys are all ridiculous. You should follow Christ, sure, but the teachings of these guys, none of these men counterdicted each other. None of these men had any disagreements. And that's what we see here, that this is Paul's urging Apollos to visit the, Christian, the Corinth church illustrates that, that there's unity through Christ again. That if Paul had disagreed with Apollos theologically or practically or in application of anything, he wouldn't have wanted Apollos to go visit this church. Paul uses this opportunity here to show that there's unity between he and Apollos because they are united through Jesus Christ. And he starts to give then some, some final admonitions and some greetings. He, he calls the Corinthians, and when he calls the Corinthians, he's also calling all of us to persevere in love and submit to godly leadership. I like that in verse 13, Paul says, act like men. Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Right? Um, this is a call for the church to act with courage, really. This is a, a common um, call out here. It's almost like a, a call to arms. 
in some regard. That it's an encouragement for the whole church, not just the men of the church, but everyone in the church, to find strength through obedience to the Lord. It's a call to have confidence in God's power rather than your own power. One of the ways that we act like men in the church when we find strength and confidence in the Lord's power through our obedience to Him is that we are motivated by love. Right? Let all that you do be done in love. All of our actions, all of our deeds are to be done in the name of Christ for God's glory and they should reflect the love that He has shown to us. And then he continues on and he gets to verse 15 and he starts to talk about the household of Stephanus. Right? And, and we're taken all the way back again then to verses, uh, verse, chapter 1, verse 16, where he talks about the household of Stephanus there. Paul recognizes him and his family as leaders within the church, and they should be respected and listened to. People who are, who are servants of the Lord and servants of the church, like Stephanus, Fortunatus, Acacius, they are to be recognized for their service. So this is this idea of another common theme throughout 1 Corinthians. This idea of, of a mutual deference and mutual submission to one another. Right? This, is, this is what Paul's been calling them to for a long time. That leaders should be given authority and recognition so they can serve the church and the people they lead. But, but there, there should not be any power grabs. There shouldn't be any authoritarianism. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. There are leaders, but they lead by serving. Right? When the gospel truly governs the people within the church, mutual love of the leaders and the mutual love for the people is evident and powerful. And this love speaks to the work of Jesus living through these people. And that's what Paul's reminding them of here. Now to close out the letter, Paul sends greetings from the churches around Ephesus. He sends greetings from Aquila and Priscilla. And we're reminded here again that the early church was small and, and individuals met in homes for worship. And then Paul goes into his greet one another with a holy kiss. We talked about this, I think, in our Romans sermon series a little bit, that this is one of those tricky things here. This seems really weird to us here in the United States, right? We, uh, we typically do not greet one another with a kiss, Seldomly do we ever greet one another, even our closest friends, with a kiss. Um, it would be really awkward for Chris and I to do that. Um, <laughs> an agreement from him, like that's just not how he is. Like as close as close as Chris and I can be, sometimes as as a dear friend as he is, I, I just don't see any time in the future where I'm going to run up and. Uh, that's about right. Eighteen inches. It's about right. And, and I just don't see that happening. But this was, this was the custom in the early church. They would greet one another. And it's still the custom in many parts of Eastern Europe, parts of the Middle East, parts of, uh, of Africa. It's, a, it's interesting to see uh, close friends holding hands. Um, men who are close friends in parts of Africa will, will walk hand in hand or arm in arm with one another, showing that they, they love each other in a brotherly manner. That this is this is just part of that custom. It shows a, a deep, deep reverence and a deep devotion and a deep admiration and a deep affection for one another as they were in Christ. Typically, you know, we want to show that now. We we hug. 
right? And in our society, that's probably as comfortable as, as many of us are really wanting to get when we greet one another. But what we see here is, is in our walk with Christ that there are going to be people that God puts in our lives whose Christian friendship calls us to love them bigger than a hug. And that's what Paul's kind of getting at here. It's, it's okay to express that love that you have for someone, that they need to know how loved they are. They need to know how much they mean to you in Christ. Do not take friendships for granted. Do not take relationships rooted in Jesus Christ for granted. If they become broken, mend them quickly. Tell your brothers and sisters in Christ, tell your deep friends in Christ you love them. Your love for other Christians will show genuine warmth, genuine enthusiasm, genuine purity, and cheerfulness toward them. That sort of love can be an encouragement that that is unknown to us, to someone on one of their darkest moments. And it may be something they need. Paul normally, as he's writing these letters, dictates them out to a secretary who then writes them down. In this case, Paul has picked up the pen himself to close out the letter, adding to its authenticity when he says, I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. And then he continues on. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Our Lord come. Anyone who says that Jesus is accursed, as Paul has already taught us in, in chapter 12, verse 3, is already accursed. And then he proclaims out, Maranatha. Our Lord come. Paul has has mentioned the day of the Lord periodically throughout the letter. And we're reminded of the great hope that we have in Christ's return. Last week we talked about the hope we have in his return and our bodily resurrections. That our new bodies that we would receive in in, in that. And, And there's hope in that. And Paul's reminding us of it. That he's reminding us that Jesus, who lived a perfect life, died an atoning death, and has been raised to life, providing salvation to all who believe, is coming back. And like Paul, we should long for that day. Right? The day of, of Christ isn't to be thought of as some far-off fantasy. It's a hope that underscores our daily lives. The return of God back to earth is not something that we should fear, but something we should welcome and want and desire. Right? It should give us encouragement when we're anxious because we will get to be the people who see the Lord. We we will get to be obeying the Word and, and we will get to have that freedom finally that truly comes from the Gospel. This is what Paul wanted for the Corinthian church. And it's what God wants for us. It's what He wants for each one of us in our own lives. That, that this, this life for us to live in unity and a life surrounded and surrendered by the gospel, that's what He wants. Now, the thing is, is that we all selfishly insist on doing things our own way. We have all sinned against God. We all have a rebellious nature against God. And and the consequence of our sin is separation from our right relationship with God. And that separation in this life and it's separation into eternity. But there's hope in this gospel message. There's a remedy in this gospel message. And we need that remedy. We need some good news. And Jesus is the remedy. That's what Paul's been writing to us about this whole time. 
throughout this letter to the church in, in Corinth that Jesus is the remedy, that Jesus is the good news. That because of God's great love for us, he did not leave us in our broken, sinful state. That he sent Jesus, God in human flesh, to come and live a sinless life, fulfilling all of God's laws. He lived here, born of a virgin, lived out everything the way you and I have lived out. It's weird to think Jesus had to be potty trained. Had to be taught how to lace up and tie up his sandals. Had to be taught how to walk and talk and feed himself. Had to deal with acne as a preteen or teenager. Had to deal with awkward conversations that you would have with friends and family. Was tempted in every way that you and I are tempted, but yet still lived a perfectly sinless life, fulfilling all of God's law. And in that, he came to rescue us from our sin. Jesus has done for you and I what we could not do for ourselves. He willingly took on our sin, he willingly took on our shame to the cross. And his death paid the penalty for our sin, and he appeased the wrath of God that should have been for us. And he did so willingly, knowing that he was the only way that that could be done. He was the only one who could be the sacrifice to pay that price. And then Jesus was raised from the dead on the third day to to provide the only way for us to have a right relationship with God. And Paul's reminding us of that, that if anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be accursed. Oh, come, our Lord, come. Because he wants to see people come to Jesus Christ. He wants to see the church grow and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. We should be excited about this message that we have one who will rescue us. And to think that that all we have to do is admit our brokenness, admit our sinful nature. We just stop trusting in ourselves and, 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 and ask God to forgive us and place our faith in him. But we try to do it other ways. We try to get it out of ourselves. We try to be self-help gurus to fix our own thing. But, But here's the thing. We don't have the power to escape our sinful nature on our own. We have to ask God to forgive us. We have to turn from our sin and place our faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. And then, then we can have that unity among the brothers and sisters of Christ that Paul's talking about. Then we can have that freedom of the gospel that Paul's been teaching about throughout all of 1 Corinthians. As a follower of Christ, you're called to live in unity with others while proclaiming this good news, that Jesus died for sinners. That while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. And we are called to have the urgency that we see Paul have here in these letters. The urgency to present the gospel to other people, not because we're afraid of Christ's return or not because we're afraid they're going to get hit by a bus, but because it's something so important to us, something so precious and dear to us that we can't help but want to share it. We're called to that. We're called to have the boldness 
to tell others what Christ has done for us. And we are called to love others so boldly that they cannot help but ask, what is in it about you that makes you different? What's happening there? And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, I want you to be able to have the assurance of eternity that I have, that followers of Christ have. I want you to to know what it means to be assured of an eternal life in heaven. I want you to be assured of unity among people, to be assured of true freedom that comes from the gospel. I'd love for you to reach out to me because I want to talk to you more about being a follower of Jesus. If you're watching online, I want you to leave us a comment Send us a message. Email us at at office at calvaryheights.org. We want to share more of Jesus with you. We're going to close up today. We're going to close out 1 Corinthians. And as we do, take some time to, to ask yourself, if you're a believer in Christ, have I asked God to give me the boldness to proclaim the gospel to those who need to hear it? Have I asked God to give me the confidence to share what has been done in my life. If not, I want you to take this time as we sing this one last song to ask God that, to give you the confidence and the boldness to proclaim the truth of Christ's love in your life. And if you're not a follower of Christ and you want to know more, I want you to take this time to just listen. Is God speaking to your heart? Is he calling you to him? And if he is, we want you to respond to that. And and again, let us know. Talk to us through a message, through a direct message, through a phone call. And let us know that you're ready to talk more about Jesus Christ. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for the day you've given to us. Thank you for this time we've had to be in your word today. Thank you for this, this message about knowing Jesus, being unified to one another through him and having a a a a unification with you knowing that we can spend time and have fellowship with you through him father i pray that as a church as calvary heights as as a body of believers that you would give us the boldness the confidence and the courage to proclaim the gospel of jesus christ to those we know need to hear it and to everyone we encounter and father for those who maybe don't have christ in their lives yet we pray that your holy spirit would begin working in them convicting them and drawing them near to you so that when the time comes they are ready to positively respond and say yes i want to be a follower of christ it's in jesus 